Bible to our whatever you're using for the scriptures. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 27. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 27. Remember, I told you for the next few weeks, I am going to be teaching on um, subjects that will help you in your personal growth uh, in Christ and also teaching you about the the operation of the church, the kingdom of God. Um, so you, you can balance out the way you will move forward because you want to understand how you can grow in Christ and who you are in Christ and 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 all of those good things, but you also want to know what the church is supposed to be like and how the church operates and um, how God establishes church. Amen. Um, I'll tell you a story, not a long story, but um, I'll, I'll I'll share with you in a second a story that I that that I um, experienced today at work. I just thought it was kind of funny. But um, it'll tie right in with our lesson, so I'm sure at some point I'll share it with you. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 21, the word of the Lord said, or says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Let me slide in a couple of things there before I go to the next uh, scripture. Um, you have to be careful. Here is something that I try to practice. I'm, I'm just going to talk to you tonight. There's a lot that I want to share with you. Here's something that, that I practice. You have to examine your life. And see what you push more for. The things that be of man or the things that be of God. As you live your life every day, what are the things that you are convinced that you must do? Or you're so convicted that you know, I have to do this. Is it the things of man or is it the things of God? Remember, Peter said, no, Lord, they're not going to do this to you. I'm not going to let that happen to you. That was his emotion. That was his feelings. That was of his own personal deal. But the thing of God was Jesus came into this world to suffer, to be crucified, and to die, and to be raised again on the third day. That's why he came. That's of God. So we have to challenge ourselves to say, what am I pushing the most? Is it things of myself, things of man, or is it things of God? Let me slide this. It might not have anything to do with our lesson tonight. The devil sometimes will whisper in your ears or put a thought in your mind for you To continue in sin because you're struggling with a particular sin. Let me work with that because I feel like there was something that the Lord was trying to show me the other day. So say, for instance, you trying to live for God, trying to do right, and you don't pray like you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to pray. Every day, probably multiple times a day if you can. And you're faced with a situation where you can be dishonest for your own gain. And you try your best to be honest 
even though you're not doing good with the prayer thing, you're trying to be good with the thing that came to your mind about not trying to get your own gain. The devil will come and tell you, you don't even really pray. You're not even really true to what you say you are. You're not even serving God the right way. You might as well go ahead and do that. And the Lord want me to tell you, it's better to fight your one sin than to keep piling on a hundred more and try to fight a whole lot of sins. So the devil will want you to think, or might you might even tell yourself, maybe it's not even the devil, you might even tell yourself, oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm messing up over here, so I might as well mess up over there. You know that old adage, as a child growing up, I know I did this as a child growing up, if your parents tell you you got to be in the house by a certain time, and you can't make it home that certain time, what you say, you just blow that budget out the water. You're like, I'm supposed to be home at 9. It's nine o'clock now and I'm nowhere close to home. Might as well stay out all night long. That's the mindset we had, right? Well, coming in church, the devil still wants you to have that same mindset. And the mindset is, you're struggling with this. So I don't know why you're even trying to act like you righteous trying to do that. And you need to tell the devil, I'm struggling with this, but this is all I'm going to struggle with until I get past this. This is all I'm going to struggle with until I get past this. You're not going to get me to sin about that and sin about that and sin about that. Oh, no. I'll keep struggling with this till the Lord help me get over this. But I'm not going to add to it. That's for somebody in here tonight. Mm-hmm. Don't add to it. And don't feel guilty. And don't let nobody nor the devil make you feel uh, guilty because uh, they... Know that you messed up over here. You don't have to fake it for nobody. You can just admit to your wrong, but you're not going to do that. Don't try to get me to do that because you know I messed up over here with that. No, I know I messed up and I'm praying about it. I'm seeking God, but I'm not doing that. You acting like you are holy and righteous and I know you did that. Man, oh man, that's doing the work of Satan. That's doing the work of Satan when somebody trying to guilt you into do wrong or the devil trying to get you to guilt you into doing wrong because you had done wrong already. He's trying to get guilt you into doing wrong another way. And so when 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 the Lord said uh, to the devil, um, to Peter, get thee behind, get thee behind me, Satan, he wasn't calling Peter Satan. Here's what he was saying. The word Satan literally means adversary or one who opposes. The word Satan means adversary or one who opposes. I'll give you part of my story as I go along. My, my, this is my lesson tonight. But I was sitting in the office today with my manager, the vice president of operations. And he asked me today, who is Lucifer? He knows it. Remember, I told you, he a deacon. He's been in church longer than me. Longer than me. He says, you know, there's some things I still have questions about. I said, we all got questions. Nobody got this thing down. By. He said, Satan. No, he said, Lucifer. I said, Lucifer was all right. I got his attention. I said, yeah, Lucifer was all right for a minute there. And then when Lucifer... When iniquity was found in Lucifer, Lucifer became Satan. Now, Satan is a whole different story because Satan, the meaning of that is adversary, opposers of us. He smiled. That was, that's how we started out our conversation. Can you imagine? On the eighth floor, big time corporation building in Center City, Philadelphia, and I'm talking about Jesus. I don't know, man. I just love that kind of stuff. And so Satan tries to oppose you or try to come against you so you won't be who God designed you to be. When you begin to, when you don't or you're not working towards being who God designed you to be, you're actually helping the devil with his job. 
Because God designed you to be who you are supposed to be. And you don't know what you're supposed to be. But what you do know, because you're hearing me say it and it's written in the scripture, God designed you to be what God wants you to be. Only God knows your true purpose. Only God knows because he created you. So he know why he created you and for what reason he created you. And the devil don't know your purpose, but he knows that God don't make nothing just to make something. Everything God does has a reason or a meaning behind it. And so the devil knows that God created you with purpose. But if you don't seek God for that purpose, then you're making the devil's job easy. Because remember what his job is, is to oppose you from being who God designed you to be. Is, is to come against you, to be your adversary, to stop you from being who God wants you to be. So when you just decide you're not going to be it, he said, ooh, okay, I ain't got to waste no time on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't calling Peter the devil. He was just saying, Peter, you're doing the work of the devil right now. Because you're trying to oppose me from doing what I came to do. You are an adversary to me right now by saying, no, Lord, you can't die. Verse 24 says, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 25 says, for whosoever will save, this has always been one of my favorite scriptures. I remember when I read this text years ago, it just resonate. And still today, I don't care how long you've been living for God. If this text don't move you, stir you, challenge you, you probably not really trying to live for God. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. That text always moved me. Because we work hard in trying to save our life. We work hard in making sure life is good. That's really what we spend all of our time doing. Trying to save our life. Scripture already says, who can add one cubic to his life? So you can't really do anything about that. But I'm sure this is probably talking about you know, your well-being, you know, just making sure as a people you have some place to live, you have food to eat, you have clothes to wear, um, uh, you have a future because you invested in your future and, 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 and you, 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 you are working towards retirement. So you're living life so you can be okay. And God is saying, you can go ahead and do that, but you're going to end up losing your life because what you're doing don't qualify you to have eternal life. It don't qualify you. So good retirement don't qualify you to have eternal life. Making sure you get a great education don't qualify you to eternal life. And I support education, so don't get that twisted. But the bottom line is the scripture says, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. So everything you do to make your life better, you, that's the key word, everything you do to make your life better, you're trying to save your life. But if you will say, Lord, my life belongs to you, you save it. I, I, can't, I can't make it any simpler sometimes when I talk about Christ. Than just to say, you can have the control of your own life, or Jesus can have the control of your life. You tell me which way is easier. You just tell me. What's easier? You control your life, or Christ control your life? Think about that for a second. What's easier? Now, why is that easier? Because the decision that give us the decisions that give us gray hair. We don't have to make those. 
They're already made for us. The, the things we should do and the places we should go, we don't have to think about it. It's already made for us. Retirement already take care of for us. Because we're going to retire in heaven. So when you live for Christ, it's so much easier than when you decide that you're going to take your life in your own hands. That becomes a challenge. Because when there's a problem, you got to figure it out. And here's something I'll mess with you with. God won't, probably God won't tease you with this, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it for the Lord. You can't say you're going to take care of your life. But every once in a while, when you can't figure it out, you're going to check with God. Because that's what we do. I got this. I'm taking out, take my life in my hands. And you rolling. And it could just very well be something easy as sickness. And now you got to have surgery. And now you got to file for, um, what they call that insurance thing again? With disability. And you know that don't come right away. Most people sign up for disability say, it's not until I go back to work till I see the first check. And so now, that's where you are. And so you say, ooh, I need to go to church. One thing about church before, because you had your life under control. Oh, I need to go to church. My life seemed to fall, seemed to be falling apart. I'm getting sick all the time. We can't do that. Either you're going to give it all to Jesus and let him have the controls or you're going to take it, take control. But don't fool yourself thinking you take control. But every once in a while, when you can't figure it out, you kick it over to Jesus. Yo, dude, I can't figure this one out. Can you help me out? It's not how it works. Verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? The Lord is not even playing around with this one. The, the whole world. He didn't say the gold in Fort Knox. He didn't say all the gold or all the silver or all the pearl or all the diamond. He could have just made it a segment of the riches. He just went ahead and just said the whole world. All the gold, all the diamonds, all the riches, all of it. He says, what is a man profited if he shall gain if he sh- it profited, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Remember, this is the text that I told you the devil don't want you to understand. What, what, what's so important about this text? The Lord just showed us, if you missed it, that the whole riches of this entire world is not richer or better than one soul. And we miss it. If we will get that, we would walk around like royalty and stop playing around. If we ever get that, we will live so much different when we realize how really rich you are. That, that you're royalty. Because all the riches of this world is not richer than who you are as a child of God. You're thinking about that? And we killing each other like no big deal. And what we're killing each other for don't even compare respect to what we, our value really is. We're, we're, we're so deceived in that area where we think that the, 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 the riches of this world and, and financial stability is better than one soul. No big deal. We'll just kill him. We got young people in all, in our cities. Killing each other to own the block. Got to get him up off the block. This is my block now. For what? So you can sell more drugs? Because that's all. That, that's what it is. Get him up off the block. So the block can be yours. So all the money that come in is yours. And you're going you're gonna to take him out. Just for that. We don't understand the value of a soul. And Jesus said the value of a soul is so valuable that all the riches of this world is still no comparison compared to one soul, one individual. 
My God. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. All right, so I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about investing in the kingdom. Investing in the kingdom. Because there's a lot of messages in that text that we just read. And I want you to get, if you don't get anything out of all the stuff that I'm talking about tonight, I want you to understand investment. This Saturday at 10 a.m., invite somebody, um, you know, send text message out to the church family and tell them we have a financial seminar at 10 a.m. It won't be long. We'll be done by 1130. Just come and hear and pick up some, some, some understanding of the importance of investment and how you're supposed to handle finances. Love for you to come and hear that this Saturday, 10 a.m. Looking back on the development of technology, a person may wonder what would happen if they had invested in the right stock offerings. For example, buying 100 shares of Microsoft stock at the original offering would have placed $2,800 at risk. So when Microsoft came out, I believe in 1986, if you decided that I'm going to take $2,800 and buy Microsoft stocks, 2800 I think that's 100 shares. I think it was like $28 at the time. If you would invest $2,800 in 1986, today, that investment would be worth $2.49 million. $2,800. million. $2.49 million. That's great investment. Parents who bought their child. I read this today. No, it wasn't today that I read it, but as I'm preparing, I started thinking about this. I said, oh, Lord, you're going you're gonna to have to share, show me some stock options here, the right ones. So parents who bought their child. $1,000 worth of Disney stock when that child was born in 1948. When that child retires at 68, that would have been probably, what is it, about, probably about eight years ago. You can check it. But if you were born in 1948 and you were given $1,000 of Disney stock, when you got to age 68, your $1,000 that you invested would be worth $96 million. $96 million if you gave $1,000 investment of Disney stock to your kid. I said, Lord, that's some crazy returns right there. And so it got me thinking, man, investment. And I got to be honest with you, probably most of the people that we hang with are not good investors. And I think because we're not good investors, it flows over into our spiritual life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because spirituality if you want to look at it a certain way, calls for investment. <laughs> and so many of us fail in our Christian development, our Christian formation, our Christian walk, because for some reason, investment or investing is just something that we struggle with. Uh-huh. So, we don't even realize that if we go back to the beginning, our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, 
was a trust fund baby. <laughs> we don't even realize it. He was a trust fund baby. How can you say that, preacher? Because I remember what God said in the beginning when God created everything and then he created Adam. And he told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. But I also can show you another portion of scripture where God made it clear of what belongs to us. Not belong to us because everything belonged to him, but what he has entrusted us with. Psalms 8, verse number 1, says this. O Lord, our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over all or over the works of thine hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. So David is telling the Lord, I understand, Lord, that everything you have made in this world, you gave me rule. You gave me control over everything. So another deception is, so why are we fighting to gain everything? When God said, I gave you dominion, rulership over everything. We're twisted up, church. We're, 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 trying to, we're trying to take something that God said, it already belongs to you. I gave you dominion. I gave you rulership over it. Uh-huh. But we're going through all kinds of things to see if we can gain more than it. No, it's all ours. It's enough for everybody. All sheep and oxen, yay, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the path of the seas. Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. God has given us dominion over all things. And so the thing that we're trying to do everything we can to make it ours, God said, I already gave you rulership, control over it. So what are you doing? It's an investment. God created and God says, it's yours. There's more to this earth than everything I created that you will receive out of it than even what I created. It's an investment. He gave it to us. Here you are. It's going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you. And we mishandled everything. And because we mishandled everything, God had to come into this world as the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, God manifest in flesh, had to come because we misused what God had given unto us that is supposed to be investment to us. Jesus made the big statement about denying yourself and following him. He went on and talked about what will you give in exchange for your life. If any man desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These words apply to the disciples and to all who would come after Jesus. That is, become a disciple and enter into his fellowship. 
Maybe we ought to do a better job. Let me put this one on me. Maybe I ought to do a better job and make sure I'm clear every time I minister God's word. Because sometimes I think we might misunderstand God's message and thinking that, you know, it's just okay. We come in and we assemble ourselves. And if we come together enough and assemble ourselves, and if the spirit of God move and we feel the power of the Holy Ghost, that means God is approved of us and we assemble ourselves. And we don't talk about the, 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 the challenge or, 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 or the commandment of following Jesus Christ. Recognizing and confessing belief in Jesus as the Messiah is only the beginning of discipleship or salvation. So when you come to church and you hear about who Jesus is, that's just the beginning. You must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Okay? Jesus invites every person to follow him. But those who desire to follow him, I like that because Jesus invites everybody. Many are called. Jesus invites all to follow him, but not all follow him. Yep. So he invites every person to follow. But those who desire, you know that word we talked about at the beginning, do you desire to follow Jesus or you desire to just come to church or you desire just to be blessed or you desire just to have health and strength or you desire to be financially off? And so is that what you desire or do you desire to follow Jesus? And if you desire to follow Jesus, there must be three attitudes that we must have. Attitude one. If we desire to follow Jesus, we must have a willingness to, de to deny ourselves. Listen, denying yourself is initially hard. But after you start living like that, it ain't hard no more. Denying yourself is initially hard. After you start doing it, don't matter no more. It's easy because you know that's what you do. I can't tell you, and you know, you know, you know, only this is why God is good. I know for me, I probably, I'm not even going to use my pastoral time. Just before I became a pastor, I feel like people probably just said about me that I like everything that I do. So that's why I'm doing it. I think people felt like that. If, if I give people a true sermon and ask them, They'll say, yeah, you like that kind of stuff. Yeah, you like that. But you know what? When you can begin to embrace the things of God and do it like everything you like it, you're doing a good job in following Jesus. Amen. That's what it means. But, but, but a person will probably look and say, you just like all that stuff. It, it, it just kind of work with your personality. Oh, Lord, I'm telling you, people tell you that all kinds they tell you all this kind of stuff. It just work with your personality. That's just who you are, really. But what had happened is, what had happened was, I decided to follow Christ and enjoy myself following Christ. So now it becomes just my way of life. And somebody going to look at it and say, well, that's just him. But it's something that I want people to understand that, no, it's not just him. When we make up in our mind and we have a desire to follow Christ, following Christ don't seem like a chore. Following Christ becomes an enjoyment. And even the things that you didn't like, you're still now, you, it's okay. I always tease Brother Tom, and because Brother Tom, for the most part, it's not all the time, because if he says all the time, it's a lie. Because when he come to my house, and he eats certain kind of food, or my grandma gives him some kind of food, he enjoy what it tastes like. But, let me give him this much. For the most part, he eats food to, 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 to fuel his body. It's like gasoline in a car. That's how he eats. I just got to eat this because, you know, my body needs this. That's how he eats. This is great. If everybody ate like that, we'd all be healthy. Just got to eat this because my body needs this, and this is what keeps my body going. That's how he eats. Me, on the other hand, I eat because I love it. 
I enjoy it. Total different ball game. I don't eat anything. I don't enjoy it. I got to enjoy it, baby. I got I to gotta taste the taste. I got to be like, yeah. I got to sit down and really enjoy it. My family probably tired of me. When I go on vacation, D, uh, now, now you can tell D, guess what, D? When I go on vacation, the main dining room or one of the fancy restaurants, I love their food. And some days, my family just want to go to Windjammer. Y'all, they, they, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So they don't care. They just send me to wind jam and let me go pick something up and run. And me, no, nope, nope, nope. I want to sit down at the dining room table, one of the nice ones, and I want to order. And I want to take my time. And I want to try this. And I want to try that because I love to enjoy my food. Amen. Amen. I roll. And so the bottom line is, if you will do the brother Tom. When it comes down to following Jesus, ask Tom. Most of the things, I don't think, my dad probably a little bit like that too. There are things that he probably don't like, Brother Tom, but he eat it anyway and make it look like he like it. Because he understands the purpose of eating it. So he's eating it and make it feel like, oh, and he's done it for so long that probably everything tastes pretty good to him. I'm only saying that because I'm trying to get you to see how when you decide that I'm going to follow Jesus, when you initially start out, it's a challenge. And when the church talks about they're going to fast, fast, fast. Are you kidding me? That, that don't make sense. And then when they say they're going to pray, here's the, here's the big one because Warren used to all struggle with this. I'm sure a lot of people struggle. You go to the, to the Pentecostal church and everybody praying and you trying to pray. And you like... I can't even get myself to concentrate and pray. Tom, you say that. I can't get myself to concentrate. But they all just praying. But just keep on going and you'll find yourself one day praying like them and not just, just, just not listening to nobody else. But, and enjoy. But, but when you started out, it was a challenge. So following Christ initially, it is a challenge. It's changing your whole life. It's changing your whole program. But the only way you're going to become successful in doing it is keep on doing it till it becomes second nature. It don't always have to taste good. Just do it because you know it's good for you. And if you do it long enough, you will begin to enjoy it. I thought about drinking black coffee, but I said, now nah, I'm good. The only thing that's going to make me go overboard and just keep on going is just the things of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I stop, man. You know, sometimes I say, I want to learn how to drink my coffee black. No sugar, no. I just want to just enjoy the taste. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. You know, I'm, I want to try. I'm like, nah, because it's just in me to enjoy what I'm doing. And I just thank God for how good he is because he knows that about every one of us. And if we will give him what we need to give him of ourselves, he will begin to make you like the things that, guess what, you ordinary wouldn't like. But you had made up your mind and you have a desire to follow him. And now you find it very, very uh, uh, fruitful and enjoyable to follow him. God, deny yourself. People don't, people won't believe that you're denying yourself when you deny yourself. I'm sure sometimes the things that I'm doing or have done, people say, yeah, that's what he wants. No, I, I told my, I even, I, I have learned how to do it just in my Christian walk in general. Because I told my wife and she tried to, she tried to figure it out. I won't tell her. I won't tell her. So brothers, husbands, here's how it go. Here, here's how it go. So, I told my wife one time, I said, there are things that you want me to do that I don't want to do, but you won't know. If it's some, if, it, if, 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 it, if it calls for me to be a Christian husband that she want me to do and I don't want to do it, she won't know I won't want to do it. Because I'm trying my best to be a Christian. I'm trying my best, just like I do my God in, in serving him. He knows everything. So, so I, I serve him with gladness. Serve the Lord with Come before his presence. Mm. Uh, know he that the Lord is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. 
Uh, yeah. So, 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 we got to start enjoying this thing. You can't be. I just don't. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so we're going to follow him. We can't be following him, following him like we just ate or drank lime juice. Or a white drum. I don't know nobody back home back in the day that drank white rum that had a nice, good-looking face. If they started out with a nice, good-looking face, after a while it changed. Brother Kellerman, you you all remember? They would drink the rum, a little bit of water, pour the rum. This 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 is Jamaican rum. Y'all y'all don't know the, the the proof. They pour the rum in, tip a little bit of water, a little bit of well, a little bit of water, and they drink it. And when they they just just drink it down. When they drink it. You make that face enough, your face gonna start getting twisted like this. <laughs> your face gonna start getting crazy. So, so when I was like twelve, eleven, all that, I used to drink rum, but I never drank the white rum. I drank Appleton because that was good tasting. I, I guess from I was just, I just grew up like that. It gotta have taste. I'm looking like Appleton, son. Yeah, I'm drinking Appleton at eleven, twelve. There's a real God out there. Y'all don't want to believe it's real Jesus. He saved me because I don't know how I was drinking Appleton at 11 and 12. I wouldn't touch the white rum because it didn't have no good taste. Mm-mm. Didn't have no taste. Got to have taste. But when we're going to follow Jesus, we got to be willing to deny ourselves. We got to be willing to take up our cross and willing to follow him. To deny yourself means surrender immediately, material gratification, and all the things that you like, that you like to have gratification in. You got to surrender yourself to all of that. Uh Uh-huh. It's a willingness to let go of selfish desires and earthly security. This attitude turns self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Self is no longer in charge, but God is in charge when you deny yourself. Uh huh. Then he says, take up your cross. When you take up your cross, that's the illustration of humility and submission. When you take up your cross, you don't have a physical cross that you can take up. Jesus had a cross. So now you got to picture what that was like when Jesus was carrying this cross. And that was a picture of surrenderance and humility. Carrying this cross. The other thing about carrying your cross is an example of sacrificing for the benefit of others. When you hear take up your cross... Humility, submission, and sacrificing yourself for the benefit of others. That, my friends, is what we call taking up your cross. You don't have any right. You humble yourself. You surrender yourself. And you make sure you sacrifice yourself for the benefit of others. That's what Jesus did when he carried his cross. Here's a question for you that you can ponder tonight as we get ready to get out of here. Can you identify ways in your life where you have become more like Jesus? Can you identify ways in your life where you have become more like Jesus? That you can see a behavior in your life and say, yeah, that's like Jesus. I'm doing this because I'm mimicking Jesus. This is a part of my life because it was a part of Jesus's life. Can you look at your life, be honest about it, and say that? And so, the scripture says in 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
eternity's values. When we don't know Christ, we make choices as though this life were all we have. In reality, this life is just the introduction to eternity. This life is just an introduction to eternity. What we accumulate on earth has no value in purchasing eternal life. Yet, how willing we are to sell our eternal values short for earthly security. How foolish to seek worldly comfort and wealth and ignore the issue of our soul's eternal salvation. How important will a lifetime of pleasure seem when compared to an eternity separated from God and all the blessings that God brings to our life? And so I close by saying this. For the Son of Man is come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will have his reward with him for all that we have done. That last scripture in 27 that we read talked about when the son of man shall come he will have his reward with him so the investment is when you deny yourself and you pick up your cross and you follow Christ and you give all you can for his sake that's an investment now, we've taught and preached many different things, but I just want you to see it tonight from the standpoint of investing. And what we're not realizing is what God is asking us to do is to invest. Just like those people who invested in Microsoft in 1986, and they're all millionaires and billionaires now. Just like those people that invested in Disney, they're all millionaires and billionaires now. Those people invested they gave and sacrificed something for the greater good. And today they have riches, material riches. And what God is trying to get us to understand is the riches that we will get from our investment. No money, no billions, no millions, nothing is even able to be compared to what we will receive as our reward for the investment we will make in the kingdom. And we're missing it. We come to church and don't realize, I need to invest. What must I do, Lord? How shall I serve, Lord? Because I want to invest. And let me tell you something. Most people that you work for, unfortunately, if they can get more out of you than what they pay you, they will be glad. I'm telling you because I know. However, God's standard is he owes no man. So his reward for your investment will exceed anything that you can ever think. Because he will not owe anybody. And he will not have you labor with him in investing in his kingdom and not give you a great return on your investment. And so, church, it's not about coming into the building. It's not about saying I'm saved. It's not about all these things. We have to begin to invest in the kingdom. And if we don't stop and question ourselves and say, how am I investing in the kingdom? And how do you know you're investing in the kingdom? You denied yourself. You took up your cross. And you're following him. So don't get it twisted now. Don't think that you can say, well, I, I'm investing. Let me give you an example. I'm done. I am really, really am out of here. We come on Sundays. And you come in your one day a week. And 
you are the greeter. I'm picking on the greeter. Y'all going to kill me now. And you are the greeter. And you greet everybody when they come in. And that's just your one day a week you come. Service over. Hello, hello. Greet everybody and you're gone. You might say in your mind, I invested today. But you got to ask yourself, how did I deny myself? How did I take up my cross? And how did I follow him? Always got to ask yourself that question to know if you are investing in the kingdom. And if I like to hang out with people and get dressed up and say, look at me. Don't I look nice today? Right? And I love to talk to people. Okay? How did I invest something? Even though I came to church, even though I stood at the door, and even though I was on my post and I was saying, I'm a part of something. How did I deny myself, took up my cross, and follow Jesus? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. All right. Which one of you can add one cubic to his life? The fruit of the spirit. You're going to get me getting some heavy teaching, but I won't. The fruit of the spirit is, and it goes on to tell you all the fruit of the spirit. You can't add any cubic. And the fruit of the spirit comes from Jesus. So essentially, mess with the church people. Essentially. You can't really invest in your spirituality. What you can do is submit your life to God and he determines what happens in your life. Uh huh. I'm going to challenge your mind right there. You think about it a little bit because how we think about church for so long is kind of a little bit different. And that is what comes out of our life. If it's going to be godly, it didn't come from us. Now, only thing we can ever take credit for, if you want to take the credit, is that I submitted my life to Christ and he worked in my life. And so what I produce is what he produced through me. We can't forget that. So when I get up in the morning, let me give you a good example. I get up in the morning. I may not pray the traditional what we know about prayer. I might sit there and say, Lord, I'm here this morning. Don't know really what to pray, but you know everything that's going on today and what will transpire this day. And I'm just surrendering and yielding myself to you. Will you give me instructions? Will you speak to me concerning what you want? I'm here, Lord. I want to make sure when I hit the streets, your light is shining bright and I'm giving glory to you. Will you help me, Lord? And then we go from there. So whatever goes on from that point on has nothing to do with you. All you did was surrender your life. I don't want us to think that we we be doing stuff. Because even some of us, how we were trained back in the day, we think that we can pray these powerful prayers and God move because we pray these powerful prayers. That's also not really correct. Because the bottom line is God move on what he will do, not what you tell him to do. Those are some different changes that we got to understand as apostolic that we don't tell God what to do. Now, can we pray the scriptures and God will begin to unveil what we prayed because we prayed his word? Absolutely. But me telling God, I'll give you an example, me telling God, move on my brother and save him, Lord. Okay. God died for him. You think I can do, you think I want my brother saved more than God wants him saved? No. God wanted to snap me upside the head and say, wait, shut up. You, you wasn't even at Calvary when I was getting mocked and teased and spat upon. You wasn't there. I was there. So don't come telling me, save your brother. You need to say, Lord, here I am. How can I be used of you to help the process in saving my brother? That's how it works. Yes. 
Yeah, but what, what I want you to get is everything you do is a kingdom investment, has nothing to do with us. And so for the longest thing, longest time, we think that we're doing something on our own when we're not. You can't. All we can do is invest in God's purpose, and God does. Part of, I didn't give you the, the, the boss story, but part of what I was talking to him about today, his mind was blown off of this. We just talking. I got to the point of saying, I said, Alton, everything that does not fulfill his purpose, because it's coming all the way from Satan, because he want to know what happened with Satan. I said, Satan started to abandon his purpose. He was made, the Bible says, there are all ministering spirits to them who are heirs to salvation. So when, when, when the angel decide that they don't want to do what God tell them to do to help us, they have no more purpose. I said, Satan abandoned his purpose because he didn't want to function the way God designed him to function. So everything and everyone, when you decide to not seek your purpose for why you was created and pursue it, then you become irrelevant and you're not needed. Blew his mind in office. He said, I never heard it. I've been in church 30-something years, Wayne, longer than you. I said, I know. He says, that hit me like a ton of bricks because he deacon Shaw in his church. And he go about doing all these different things, but he doesn't have any purpose that he understands. So that's what it comes down to. So what we invest in is in the kingdom. God invests in us his Holy Ghost, which causes us to love people, which generates the fruit of the Spirit. All of these things is, is God investing in us. All we're responsible doing is invest ourselves in the kingdom so God can get what he got to get out of us. And then here's the other thing I told him. I said, the reason why a lot of us ain't hearing from God, because we're not walking in our purpose, because God will not reveal to you anything if you don't have something to use it for. We want God to give us revelation. God, yeah, for what? You're not doing anything. Why should I talk to you? But the minute you decide to fulfill the purpose I designed, you, oh, I'm going to tell you what I need done. Noah, go get gopher wood. Noah. One door. Noah, three stories. He was hearing God talking. Whoa, the Lord, yeah, because you're doing his purpose. You don't do what God tells you to do. He don't talk. Brother Kellyman, what you got, my friend? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus did. On, if you don't suffer, there will be no glory. Can't get, can't, can't be no glory without some suffering. But, but we don't want to suffer. But I'm telling you, suffering looks challenging and scary when you don't live a life submitted to Christ. But when your life becomes submitted to him, you're suffering and you don't even know you're suffering. Oh, God, help me today. That's how it works. But when you stand from afar and try to examine it, I don't know, Lord. Yeah, because you're not suffering. You're not committed. You're not submitted. And so now everything looks just just, just really challenging. But when you just mm, start doing the time and just make everything just good to you, prayer is good. Fasting is good. Worshiping is good. Coming to church is good. Loving people is good. It's good. Whether it was good or not, it's all good now. And when you sink your life into it like that, then all of a sudden it all worked right for you. Because, because you have embraced it and it's not something that you're like, uh, you have embraced it. It became a part of you. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. When you do it like that, you become immune to suffering. It's not a big deal to you. And what others are seeing, they see it. Oh, man, how you go through that? You're, you can't even pay attention to it. It, it. it doesn't even register because you're so focused, Stephen, so focused on him that everything that's going on, it doesn't really matter. Not paying attention because I'm focused on him. 
pick up my cross and I'm following him. So all that's going on, I can't even really tell. Let's stand. Any questions? Mess with Sister Hasker, baby mine. Because you know the mind work a little slower. <laughs> the mind work a little slower when you get pregnant. Ladies know. Y'all know it's true. I watched it myself. I've seen it plenty of times. Y'all slow down when you get that belly. I mean, but what do you expect? <laughs> 